And uh, he is the husband of Melanie. And he has gone to, I got a little bio for you here. You've gone to Fuller, you've gone to Tyndale, and you've gone to Conestoga College in that order. And uh, that was surprising. But, but uh, anyway, please welcome John Cressman. We're excited to have you. Hey, good morning. Uh, I think I'm on. Yep. Thanks for doing the important work of the body of Christ, and that is loving Jesus and loving one another. It's really a joy for me to be here. I, I understand that the message has pretty much been preached. I get that. I'll just plant some seeds as we move forward. Um, I'm not a complicated guy. I'm a diehard Toronto Maple Leaf fan. I was six years old when they won the Stanley Cup. It was black and white TV with a vice grips around the little knob we had to turn. But things are looking good, so I'm a hopeful man these days. I am a fairly new grandfather. I am Papa John. I'm putting a trademark on Papa John's. And I love my three granddaughters and one on the way. What great joy to learn the heart of the father by now being a grandfather, loving them and sending them home. I am a follower of Jesus. Actually, I'm a disciple who is, who is feeling very focused these days about making disciples. In fact, for me, it's critical that I am in relationships where I am helping someone and someone is helping me become a follower of Jesus that's pursuing deeply into what God has for them. And this morning I was going to share one message, but I think I'm going to flip it to some little other thought. But I'll leave you just the overview through this little object lesson. I grabbed this from my son-in-law as he's doing some renovation on his house. I think I'll get it back to him in time. But I am learning what it means to be a hinged person, a hinged leader, a hinged disciple. I am interested in my life being hinged to another disciple all the time. And I'm interested in my life being hinged to someone who's discipling me because I'm never too old to be poured into, and I've got so much I want to share from Jesus with so many around me. And I look in this room, I come here today with a great big thank you on my heart for, for that guy over there. I won't get too emotional, but Eric Penrose and I have good history together. When I was serving at our Country Hills Church, he was there as well as an elder, and we met weekly together. And I hinged my life to Eric's life And the formation in those early years of ministry were critical, were key. We are different as night and day in personality and interest. But he taught me that ever since I left then, Eric, everywhere I've gone in my journey now, 57 years, I've hinged, I've sighted alongside someone who could pour into my life. Today, currently, Eldon is 75 years old at the Plattsville Church that I attend. And we meet weekly, just like we did. And we just lay it all out. Whether you call it D-group or whatever, God is really calling us these days to be disciples who make disciples, to hinge our lives together. The great commandment really tells us to love God with all our hearts and to love others. You can't take them, you can't separate the two. You can't love God and not love your brother. And frankly, it seems to me that this is too much a picture of many of our lives as followers of Jesus. We're just unhinged. 
And I just invite you to consider again today who in your life is helping you follow Jesus each and every day. And as Jesus sort of forms that center core to the whole thing, that you would again hinge yourself alongside a neighbor, a friend, or someone, even in this place, and help them journey with Jesus. Want to go home? That's the short message that I was going to give. (laughs) Um, Because of a few prophetic words this morning, let me just offer you um, something that perhaps would be helpful to us today related to surrender. Familiar words. Words for us today, no matter where we are in our journey. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I I have wrestled with what does it really mean to do that? It's sort of conceptual, but what does it mean? And I go back to my my teen years, my very first job when I was in landscaping. And I worked for a guy from our church. I was 14 years old and we did various, well, he had a landscaping company and we would go around to various residents and, and businesses and cut grass. And I was the young junior on the, on the group and I did the push mower work. So I had to do the trim work and around the trees and around the house. And the bigger boys, the older boys, they got to ride the, the riding lawn tractor, the lawnmower, and they got to sweep around and, oh, how I wanted to grow up quicker and ride that riding lawnmower, right? But my job was to get that push mower and do that work. And one day we were behind schedule. And we were over at Emmanuel Bible College, and we were cutting that property on Fergus Avenue. And sure enough, um, we were late. He said, do all the trim work, the boss said. And I said, okay. And then when you get it done, I want you to go over that field over there. He pointed to a medium-sized field. I says, I want you to, he says, I want you to cut it with the push mower and I want the lines to be straight. I was thoroughly intimidated by this assignment. I did the trim work and I went over that field. And with all my concentration, I put the death grip on that lawnmower and I looked down and I prayed a few prayers and said, Lord, I just hope this is going to be straight. And I, I, I concentrated on the ground. I concentrated on my mower and my footsteps. And I walked to the other end of the field, trying so hard to make that line straight. And I got to the other end and I looked back and it wasn't straight at all. And I had tried so hard. My boss was gracious. It's a good man, Earl, he was. And he came over and he said, John, let me show you how to cut a straight line with a lawnmower. He said, see that post at the other end of the field? I go, I can see the post. He says, I want you to fix your eyes on that post. In fact, I want you to lock in on that post. I don't want you to take your eyes off that post. I want you to walk the lawnmower right straight towards that post. Don't look around. Don't look down. Don't look any other way and see what happens. I put that death grip on. This time I focused on that post. I fixed my eyes on that post and I walked there. I didn't take my eyes off that thing. I was afraid I'd run over anything. But I just did that all the way to the end. I looked back. The line was amazingly straight. And I wonder what my life looks like. In fact, I know is that each day I get up, each and every moment of every day, I, I lock in on Jesus, on His voice, on His will, and His word, and His way. 
As I do that, I marvel as I continue to fix in on, I keep bringing myself, center myself back to his will and his word and his way in my life. I get through my day and I go, well, that was seemingly a lot straighter as I focused on him. There's lots of distract us in our world. There's lots of noise keeping us off track. In fact, even myself, I try too hard sometimes to do things straight. But I want to encourage you today to fix your eyes on Jesus, whatever that means for you. I'm a grandpa now, and I'm recognizing I've watched. A, if I get my line fairly straight, you know what? My son comes and parks his little lawnmower wheel along my side, Dad's line, because I follow Jesus, and he follows my example, and and so on, and his lawnmower seems straighter, and now he's got my little granddaughter with a little push mower beside there, and I realize that as I walk my life fixed and focused on Jesus, the straighter I could walk in the power of the Spirit, the more it makes a difference in our world. Amen? It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author Just some words about authorship and the gift of my story, the way God has worked in my life. It is my greatest desire that Jesus would author the chapters, the remaining chapters of my life. But I have a confession. I have this tendency, even after all these years, to take the pen out of the author's hands and seemingly want to write my own chapters. And what I continue to learn is when I got the pen and when I do the writing, it usually starts out really well, but somehow doesn't end the way I at all imagined for whatever reason. And I am learning all over again, all of these years, that I sincerely want Jesus to author the remaining chapters of my life. I don't want the pen. I want him to have the pen. I want him to write my story because I have learned his sentences are so much more purposeful. And his punctuation is amazingly well-placed. And the stuff he writes, I could never have imagined being a part of my life. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. But I've got to make sure every day it seems like it's a daily ritual. Jesus, here's the pen. Take it. I don't want to write. You write my story. What about you? Does he have the pen today? Do you give him permission to write this next chapter? Because you're sort of wondering, would you write something, Lord? I was born Franklin Gilbert Stumpf. That was my birth name. My birth mother apparently had an affair with her boss at a downtown Kitchener department store. I'm guessing maybe Woolworths or Kresge's because that was back what it was in the day. My birth mother had an affair with her boss who was already married. And sure enough, the pregnancy, which was me, was the result of that affair. And my birth mother did the most loving and courageous thing from my perspective. She gave me up for adoption. And I was placed in a foster home. And my journey begins with this elements of, where's this story going? It begins with rejection in some respects, because I've walked this journey as a young adult all the way through 
what does this mean that my parents didn't want me, but she did this beautiful thing and gave me up for adoption? I sat in that um, foster home for weeks or so, but you see, I was too little to, to write anything, to have the pen. I know in the very beginning of all of our stories, it's Jesus who has the pen. And he wasn't through writing Franklin's little story. Do I look like a Frank to you? And he had the pen, and he wasn't finished writing, and he had a story of belonging for me and purpose for me. And so he began to write the circumstances where Ernie and Marie Cressman from Kitchener, who had tried to have kids for five-plus years and weren't able to have kids, to lead them to look into adoption. And sure enough, by God's great design and his chapter writing, he wrote me into a new family. He wrote me into the Cressman family, and I arrived there, and I was loved there, and wanted there, and told I was loved. And they knew Jesus, and they went to our downtown Bethany church. And sure enough, I went to church. We went to church every time church was open. And I remember sitting in every one of those little-sized little Sunday school chairs all the way through. I heard about Jesus. I learned that Jesus has the, has the author of my story, actually. And the author of my faith, and at age nine, I gave my heart to Jesus. I was adopted twice. Jesus had the pen. He's written a beautiful start to my journey. A lot of people think that children like my circumstances are accidents or an inconvenience or a problem, and they're not. Because Jesus has the pen, and he writes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes when he writes. He's got purpose in all of his things. I would want every child to know that Jesus is writing a beautiful story. Let's see what he wants to write. Right? When I was in junior high, see, when you're adopted, you kind of have two responses. You can, because you're wrestling with belonging, you can either rebel and try and get everybody's attention, or you can become kind of a people pleaser, which was the John route. Oh, how that you would love me today. Oh, how that I could belong, how I could be accepted. And that people-pleasing journey led me to being shy and super self-conscious and really feeling like I had really no purpose or value in life. And I remember as like a grade 8 student really feeling like God could never use me. He can't use me. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I just remember writing lots of things like, Lord, use somebody else. Pick somebody else. I would just stand away, shy away from everything that God wanted because I was afraid of being rejected if I stepped out even a tiny bit. I got to youth group at our church, Bethany Church, and I've discovered a person, a youth sponsor, who believed in me. And Sherry said, John, I think you should let your name stand to be treasurer of the youth group. Now, back in the day when I went to church and back in the day when our youth groups were run, we had this structure like president, vice president, treasurer. Like, it's really a kind of a dumb system. 
I know it was meant about leadership development, but when you were in it, it was all about a popularity contest. And she said, John, why don't you let your name stand as a minor niner with no... Like, why don't you let your name stand to be treasurer of the youth group? And I go, I could never do that. I don't want to ask somebody out. I can't do that. I'm running against Dave. He's the most popular kid in the youth group. I won't win either. And she just kept encouraging me and believing in me and seeing what God could see. And she basically said, John, why don't you just leave it with Jesus and see what he will do? And so she wore me down. Good you, sponsor. And I just said, all right, I'll let my name stand. In a sense, I gave him the pen for this chapter. And sure enough, I won by a landslide, and I still don't understand how I beat Dave. (laughs) And he began to write my leadership story at 14. A shy guy with no confidence, found no value, and he began to write, John, through me, you can do all things. John, I've got lots of plans for you if you'll trust me. And sure enough, I was treasurer, then vice president, then president. Began to lead in our college and careers, we used to call it. And then I've gone into ministry. And I am incredibly humbled that from the decision to give Jesus the pen at 14, I now have the amazing... I'm looking at Nick, because it's good to see you, brother. And, and, and Dave and all. I have the amazing... I pastor pastors. I input, I'm a leader who inputs into leader. I'm humbled because I gave Jesus the pen as a 14-year-old kid and trusted him. And he wrote, he's wrote some amazing things because I made sure he's got the pen. Oh, man. When... Um, I got through high school. I went uh, to Conestoga College first. (laughs) And I got a graphic arts degree. And so I went into a printing company, and I actually worked with Bob in the back of letter service there a little bit. And, and, And things went well in that printing company. I was gifted. I enjoyed that. And I was working there, and things were going well. And the two ladies who owned the business at one point came to Jim, who would be my best man and I, and said, when we retire, we want to give you the business. Like, not buy the business, but give you the business. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm just recently married. It's like, I remember, as I think about it, taking the pen out of Jesus' hand and saying, well, he might have a plan for my life, but I got some ideas. And I began to write my own checks, and that's when I bought my Camaro. Nice car. Dumb idea. Still paid for that Camaro years later after I never had it anymore, right? And I began to say, I got a wonderful plan for my life. Because when success happens, we kind of get our eyes off of Jesus and we go, I could do and I want and I want and I want and I could do. And I got this plan for what my life would look like. And you know what happened? I'm working away at that printing company with all these plans feeling completely frustrated and unfulfilled in what I'm doing. And I realized pretty quickly that no amount of money, can you believe he's saying this? No amount of money will make me happy. Don't we know this? No amount of money will find fulfillment and purpose in my life. And I remember being at a drafting table. Like this was before computers did all the work now, right? 
I had a drafting table and I worked with typesetting and exacto blade and rubber cement to put all these layouts together. I kind of blame the rubber cement for the way I am, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, I'm sitting there wrestling at my drafting. Jesus, is this all you have for my life? Like, this doesn't seem very fulfilling. The customers are crazy. Like, is this all you have for me? And I remember very clearly one day giving Jesus the pen and quitting my job to everybody's shock and surprise. Like, what are you doing walking away from this amazing opportunity? I said, Jesus, you better write something because I don't know what I'm doing either. And I went, out, I went for the summer to work on a farm outside of New Dundee, a dairy farm. Oh, I've never worked so hard in my whole life. I'm so glad God didn't call me to be a farmer. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's morning chores and then baling hay and chores in the evening and all these cattle in and out. And I lost lots of weight, never looked so good, was exhausted going, Jesus, write something on the page. Ever been in a moment where you're waiting? Write something on the page. One day I'm finishing up chores. I'm literally shoveling manure into the little gutter. It goes by, you know, and I'm shoveling away into chores. I work with a farm guy, a farm hand, a young guy who doesn't, doesn't know Jesus. His mouth certainly doesn't know Jesus. And he randomly thinks, but he randomly in the moment yells across the barn to, at me at the end of chores he's going john i don't want the bleep 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 you're doing here but you should be a pastor and it was like balaam's donkey hit me right <laughs> clear in the head a call to ministry hit me in that barn i always smile because i say i went from manure to ministry and sometimes they both stink But Jesus had the pen and he began to write a pastoral journey that I don't have time this morning to tell you some of the most amazing salvations and opportunities we've had, I've had, to be around the world as such, trusting him on this journey. Stuff that I would tell you and you go, that can't be true. And I go, well, I could never write it. But when Jesus has got the pen, man, oh man, oh man. Can he write? When I was uh, sort of early on married, I had a desire to search for my birth mother. Not all adoptees, adoptees do, nor should. I have had and had a great relationship with my adopted parents, the Cressmans, but they were supportive, and I wanted to sort these things out. And we were just having our first kids, and I would go to the doctor, and I would have no identifying information about my... Hit. Like, it's kind of like, what's... I'm trying, I'm interested, you know? And so I began this search for my birth mother. I didn't have any information about her except non-identifying. And I basically did my own little detective work, long and short of it, to be able to discover who she was, and in turn make contact with her. And when I made contact with her, she denied I existed. 
And it was really clear from all the information, and I'm not telling you the whole story. I wish I could. But when she told me essentially that I didn't exist and I had the wrong person, it was really hard. It was really hard to receive that news. And it came in a letter form, and I tell you, I held on to that letter and my hurt and that pain for far too long in some respects. Reading that letter over and over again, and in a sense, taking the pen out of Jesus' hands and going, This really hurts, and this sucks, and all these things. You write a lot of bitter things when you're hurt. We tend to grab the pen and try and figure it out ourselves and write some hard and harsh things. And I was a pastor at Country Hills back in those days. And I remember one Sunday I was assigned to preach. I got those assignments periodically. And I was asked to preach one Sunday, and I don't know that you remember this, you guys, but I was asked to preach, and I was wrestling with this, and I got up to preach, and it was too emotional for me to preach. And I was convicted about what God was working in my heart, and actually what happened that day is I shortened the... I don't know if you remember, it was really short. I just said, I'm going to stop, and I went down and I kneeled at our altar. And I gave Jesus the pen of my pain and said, you write this chapter, because this really hurts. And I knelt at that altar, and others came around me, and people came up afterwards and said, John, it's the best sermon you ever preached. It was short and emotional. (laughs) I love those short and emotional sermons, right? But I was just saying, I'm just being, I'm just going to, I don't want the pen. I want him to write my story. I trust him. He's a much better author than me. And I left that pen at the altar, And I left that wonder about what the future would hold with my birth mother and all. I just said, it doesn't matter. It's okay. I'm beloved in the... I'm a child of God. You know, I can can handle any rejection twice, three times or more. Can't you? Fast forward 15 years later. My pastoral journey has taken me to York, Pennsylvania. I'm pastoring and planting a church in York, South Central Pennsylvania. And I get a phone call in that office from a woman named Christine saying, John, I've been on a search for my birth mother. I understand we share the same birth mother. I'm your half-sister. I go, wow. Jesus is writing something. I'm going, okay. And we meet on the phone. We don't know each other. She was born a year and a half from a different father, same mother, Oh, my poor birth mother, been through a lot of things, right? So she goes, well, can I come and meet you? My, my husband, Ted, and I would like to meet you and Melanie. Okay, I live in Pennsylvania. Where do you live? Nova Scotia. She, I says, well, that's a bit of a drive. Well, we want to come. We want to come. And I said, well, that'd be great to have you come. And I explain I'm a pastor. I explain what I'm doing. She goes, I said... When, on the Sunday when you come, I'm going to church. You're welcome to come with it. She says, Ted and I have never been in church in our entire lives. Wouldn't it be amazing if the very first church service we're in is the one where my half-brother is preaching? She's going on like this. <laughs> and I'm going, what are you doing, Lord? Christine comes down. She sits in like the second or third row. I'm sharing God's Word. She cries through the whole service. 
because she believes she's meeting her earthly brother, but I'm introducing to her heavenly father something more valuable. And our relationship continues today as she's on a journey and I'm discipling her. She hasn't made cross that line of faith, but every time we're together, she goes, how do you handle this rejection from our... I just talk about Jesus. Friends, I couldn't write this stuff, these beautiful things, had it not been for the decision I make every day to make sure Jesus has the pen. Even Jesus himself, it says further, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throat of God. He did the same thing, did he not? He had every opportunity to take the pen out of his father's hands and write part of his story, a different way it would go. He's tempted in the wilderness, and he could have taken the pen, and he could, it was, I was hungry, he could have written the menu, he could have done whatever, but he said, no, Father, I want you to write my story. I'm not going to live by my words, but your word alone. And he makes sure his father has the pen. He did so many miracles, he was so beloved by so many people, they wanted to make him king, it tells us in the scriptures. Like they were just loving this guy, So much success was coming his way, he could have taken the pen and kind of written his battle plans as such. But no, no, every time I read this, he just walks away from every success opportunity because he's on mission for his father. And then I see him like you do in the garden, and I see him wrestling with God in that moment with his father, and I see it now as a pen wrestling match. And Jesus is saying, can I write this chapter? Like, I'd like to write it differently, and he wrestles enough to go, but no, you're the author. And you write my story, and that story chapter gets written, and it looks dark. But it's not. His surrender, his desire to have his father write his story, leads to my salvation, your salvation, anybody's. Because fe- he had the pen. I'm conscious of time. I just know that I'm going to leave that pen there. It wouldn't be good for me to pick that up. But maybe before you go today, or maybe with boldness even in this moment, we could stand together and I would pray and you might slip out from wherever you are and you'd leave something symbolic up here that would say today, I want Jesus to write the remaining chapters of my life. I'm done writing. I don't do well at it. And I want Jesus again. I surrender that pen and say, you write something beautiful for me. I'll trust you. Now you might not have a pen and you might leave your cell phone up there. I don't know what you want to do. You can come back and get it later, I guess. But you might really be pushed today to say, let's surrender and let him author. I used to think I could write my own autobiography. I'm not interested in me writing my story. I'm interested in a biography written by Jesus. And I invite you to consider the same and give him a pen in any way you can. I don't know whether you've got a song to sing. I don't know whether we should just stand. But I'm going to invite you to stand. If there's music that ends up playing, fine. <laughs> but why don't you stand together? And why don't we pray? 
And again, while I'm praying, if you feel led to slip out and leave a piece of paper or a bulletin, something that just says, Jesus, I'm done writing. I surrender. I give you the pen of my life right. Something beautiful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for modeling for us something so incredible, something so wonderful, something so helpful to us that you would be the author of our story and our lives. And this morning, as we take a few moments, we just want to give an opportunity to express ourselves to you in actually a fairly tangible way. And so please slip out if you'd like and just leave something here. Pause for a moment. Trust Him with your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've written and what you want to write in the friends who are gathered here today. Thank you for taking stories of uh, hurt or success or rejection or whatever it is and taking it all and writing something fresh and new. Thank you for knowing what's ahead for us. Thanks for helping us in the in-between times. Thanks for what you're writing through this congregation. In a sense, this congregation itself has a story that you're writing. And each one in this congregation has preferences and a pen of how we should do it, but we just collectively give you our pen, the Trinity pen, and say, Lord Jesus, write something amazing beyond what we could ever imagine or think or ask. We just, again, trust you. We surrender to you. We know that you have a good plan for us. And Lord Jesus, frankly, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to hear what you're going to write as we surrender and submit these pens. And mostly what we're doing is giving you our lives and our hearts afresh today. Lord Jesus, bless you for these friends. Bless you for this time. Bless you for this spirit of what you're doing here. Stay at it, Lord, as we surrender and humble ourselves to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.